Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salam Media. Assalamu alaikum, good afternoon and a very warm welcome to the special focus on Salam Media. Wait, why do I have to say this every week? You know the name, it's Zahi Jadwit. You know the time, it's 3 to 4 p.m. And you know it's Thursday afternoon. I hope you're getting used to it. So, anyway, it is indeed Thursday the 19th of December 2019. I'm sure most of you are on holiday with just 13 days left until the new year. And so I guess everyone is in a holiday mode. And so the news quietens down as well. People tend to take a more relaxed attitude towards things. It certainly is the last time we'll be doing this for the year. No, don't worry, I'll be back on Thursday the 9th of January 2020. I know you're going to miss me, and if you say you don't, that's fine. I know, but I know deep down you're already waiting for the next year. Uh, And I know many of you might be thinking, well, we're waiting for the next show, we're not waiting for you. Uh, Anyway, I'll just deal with that. I can't really do much about it. So... Of course, we can't wrap up the year without shedding light on gender-based violence. I know this has really torn us as a nation, along with the increase, the general increase of violence in South Africa. And for that, we'll be speaking to Amara Garda, who is a gender-based violence, anti-gender-based violence activist. Um, and we'll follow that up with a discussion with Labiba Latib, who is actually a victim of GBV. She'll be giving us her story there. And then we speak to... We go to Harry Smith, um, quite a popular stopover between Durban and Johannesburg. And I know that's a route many people might be taking this time of the year. So things might not be as rosy as they seem in that area. Now, residents have claimed that service delivery is non-existent. And so residents have had to take these matters into their own hands. So for that, we'll be speaking to chairperson of Water Heroes, Mr. Willem Connor. And then we, of course, wrap up the year with a quick roundup of the biggest news headlines of the year. So that should be at the end of the show. And I hope you stick around for that as well. So let's start here. South Africa is becoming an increasingly unsafe place for women to live in. The Crime Against Women in South Africa report by Statistics South Africa shows that femicide, which is the murder of women on the basis of their gender, is five times higher than the global average. This means that in South Africa, women are five times more likely, of course, to be killed due to gender-based violence committed by men. Horrendous tales of young girls and women going missing make the rounds on social media daily, with the occasional story catching media attention and becoming a national news story. An example of such a story is the gruesome rape and murder of of Karabu Mukwena, who was brutally murdered and killed by her ex-boyfriend Sandile Mansue. Now, recently, 19-year-old UCT student Uyenene Mokhitiana was raped and bludgeoned with a, with a scale when she went to fetch a parcel at the Claremont Post Office in Cape Town. In the same time frame, we heard the news of South African female boxing champion Leandre Jagels being shot to death by her boyfriend. So it's a gruesome picture there and it needs highlighting. So for more on this, we are joined on the line by Amara Garda, who is an activist against gender-based violence. Assalamu alaikum, Amara, and welcome to the show. Walaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me. Indeed, it's a pleasure. So firstly, before we begin... Um, I'd like to congratulate you on your appointment to head up the Politics and International Affairs Committee at um, the MSA. 
so much. It's it's an exciting job. There's a lot to do. So I guess that's that's quite nice. But uh, inshallah, I can only hope to do within my two-year term. It's quite a while. So hopefully we can do good things, inshallah. All right. So to begin with our topic, um, please could you just draw us a picture as to the current status quo with regards to GBV in South Africa? That's gender-based violence. What exactly are we talking about when we mention GBV? So it's a, it's a, actually it's an easy concept to speak about. I think most most people want to complicate it, but it's quite simple. Generally, it's the it's the intersection between a violent society and a patriarchal society. And when those two concepts mix together, that's when violence against women and children, of course, mm. becomes the norm. So in South Africa at the moment, the, the word status quo, I think, is a very good way to explain it because it is definitely the norm. It's, it's definitely occurring all the time, everywhere, in every sort of household and situation. So the reason the reason we have such a big problem with it is because South Africa is incredibly misogynistic and incredibly patriarchal and incredibly violent as well. So the mixing of those two ideas really has the worst impact on women and children. So where does one draw the line and determine what exactly is gender-based violence? So how is one certain that, okay, enough is enough, now this is violence, and I mean, even in the instance of a relationship, the line could be actually blurry at times. And so how do women, how should they react against it? So the, the sad thing about gender-based violence is that most violence occurs by intimate partners. So relationships are actually sort of thriving places for gender-based violence to occur. And the reason this is the case is because it, as I said, it, it's such a patriarchal concept, and often many relationships think they have, you know, the right, the authority, the duty even to discipline women and to control them and to finish them if, if necessary. So there's a lot going on in terms of the interpersonal relationships between male and female and what men think that relationship should look like. And the violence is an aspect that's used to sort of make sure that the relationship stays the way they expect it to be and that it doesn't become something that men think is unacceptable. So we have to, I guess, interrogate what is acceptable relationship comes from and what force can men use and when can they use it. Those those concepts are at the fore when we discuss when we discuss gender-based violence. So it's basically Gender-based violence can be declared if somebody uses violence on a woman because she is a woman. So it's it's a bit difficult, even in the reporting of gender-based violence, it's difficult to say what exactly is gender-based violence. It's similar to racism. You get people that, you know, fight and argue, and often you, you think, is this racism or is this just a disagreement between people? Um, so it's, it's difficult, but I think in order to understand it, we have to look at the broader context of South Africa and realize that men ha- feel they have this entitlement to control and harm women, which which manifests in gender-based violence. So intimate partners, that's a really big one. Um, well, like any, any sort of authority that a man might have over a woman, if he uses violence to enforce that authority, that's, that's gender-based violence. And 
you know, during the protests in September, a lot of women were coming forward and saying, I didn't realize I was a victim of gender-based violence until other women started sharing their stories. So I think that's a really good way for, for women to realize, you know, my story actually can help other people and can actually show other people that they genuinely do not deserve violence. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the conversation should be more about what men should do to react to this as opposed to what women can do. And so given the latest rounds of um, uh, of uh, violence against women, um, the, the voice against GBV has actually grown louder, I believe. And so um, gender-based violence, the calls around it, the campaign around it has made led to many more people realizing that they were in fact victims of it. So do you believe that women are now at a stronger point to fight off this reality? I, I do think we are stronger in a sense where it's socially acceptable, I guess, to fight for, for women's rights. Obviously, like decades ago, it was very rare for, for women to be able to stand up against this type of thing and not be imprisoned or shunned or, you know, stopped. So I think we're stronger in that sense. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the numbers are not going down. Um, and the reporting of, of rape and gender-based violence is, is not reliable and earlier. So it's very difficult to gauge if we are stronger and more effective or if we are just, you know, shouting louder and having no one hear us. So um, also the, the other part of gender-based violence that makes it so difficult to deal with is that it's very emotionally taxing. So for women to continually, you know, scream about it and shout about it and push out all these campaigns, it takes a, a lot out of us. It really takes a lot out of us. So I think we are stronger at the moment, but I really think that we are in desperate need of nationwide assistance so that that strength doesn't, you know, doesn't die down because inevitably it will at some stage. Indeed, Amara. Now, let's get to the root of this. So, what do you think contributes towards gender-based violence, especially in our self, uh, in our, our society? So, I mean, again, these, these concepts are quite easy to understand. But recently, I've heard quite a few discussions with young men in South Africa about the causes of gender-based violence, and they tend to not like the the words that are used to explain gender-based violence. So that's just that it came up for, for everyone that's listening. It was uncomfortable, but I mean, so is gender-based violence. So let's, let's listen with an open mind, hopefully. Um, most, most studies have identified controversiality, misogyny, and just patriarchy in general as, as the root causes of gender-based violence. And then I think it's a it, um, comfortability, I think, with and accountability with the daily world. So it's a combination of a few factors. So the most the toxic masculinity, which is I'm a man, therefore I have to do certain things to women and I can't do certain things to women and I'm allowed to do certain things to women. And then the next part is just, you know, I'm allowed to do certain things to women using violence. And then the last part which is other men do this all the time. Therefore, there's no problem with it. So it's a combination of a few things. So most 
starting work so that gender-based violence tends to exist in places where there's a lower risk and a high reward. So low risk meaning the consequences for gender-based violence are not that high. In South Africa, legally the consequences are quite high, but when you actually look at the reality, how many men get away with gender-based violence takes a low risk activity. Um, and then the high derived obviously from the toxic masculinity. So only someone that buys into that toxic masculinity would actually get reward from abusing women, from raping women, from murdering women. So it, it's, a, it, it's a tricky subject to speak about, but we are lacking in the sense where the root causes have been really well researched and well identified. And I think that's, yeah, that's where our focus should be. And you, of course, you do mention that one of the factors could be, um, well, two of the factors could be toxic masculinity and patriarchy. So um, now, what do you think men should do, in fact, to uh, to play their part in the fight against GBV? So this is, yeah, this is my favorite question, because I, I genuinely think men have not done nearly enough. Um, and this was my, my appeal sometime in the week to Muslim men. I was speaking to Muslim men specifically. And I said something like, um, you know, men were given strength. And that strength was made to protect others. And gender-based violence and the fight against gender-based violence is the perfect opportunity for men to actually use that strength in a positive way that it was meant to be used. So strength, not meaning physical strength, but strength meaning, you know, the intellectual strength and the social awareness and just that protective nature of men. So what men have to do immediately, and it's not something that takes a while, it's something that you just decide you're going to start doing from today. Number one is, of course, call out your friends, your family members, anyone that you know that is taking part in rape culture. So rape culture as well is can be anything from jokes about rape to victim-blaming, to a complete denial of rape's existence, um, to men diminishing what rape actually is, all of those things will fall under rape culture, and it's really prevalent in our society. So men have to call out their friends when they say things like this, and they cannot partake in that conversation anymore. Um, also, I think men have a lot of work in terms of deciding whether to buy into feminist ideals or not. So again, the word feminist, people get very scared of it. Um, it's almost as if, you know, people think the word feminist, a feminist is and they feel scared. But what I try to explain to them is that feminism exists because women are so scared of men because men will actually kill women. So it's, it's a difficult concept to grasp, and it really takes a lot of self-reflection that men have to do it. And, and they have to decide where do their values come from, are they going to informed or culturally informed, what are the motivations that you play in ending gender-based violence? Because I can't really force any man to do anything in terms of gender-based violence. Every man has to do a self-reflection and sit down and, and, and think, you know, what am I capable of offering to this movement? So it has a lot to do with sitting down and realizing how have you contributed to the culture of gender-based violence? What are you willing to do? And just realizing that, you know, gender-based violence is one of those issues that everyone needs to take seriously. So being quiet about it is 
being complicit in it. And I think men then really have to realize that. And so, all right, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, this discussion continues. Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salam Media. Welcome back. We're in discussion now with Amara Garta, who is an anti-GBV activist. So, Amara, where do you think the uh, government has lacked and fallen short? in combating this crime of gbv and what have social organizations contributed towards the fight against gender based violence um social organizations and you know ngos and actually even to a large extent corporates as well i think they've done a lot a lot a lot a lot in terms of addressing gender based violence and many cases people have said what they in organizations have saved their lives so uh, if i could just think of a few it would be Uh, rape crisis, pocket um, gender justice, the women's legal center. There's quite a lot. There's really quite a lot. And we have such many with helping survivors. A lot of them do workshops. Um, a lot of them do, you know, exhibitions, bringing awareness about gender-based violence. And a lot of them have engaged government in terms of trying to force them, literally force them, to take gender-based violence seriously. So, I, I genuinely think that, I, I mean, in the corporate sector, then we would have, I think, first for women is probably the best example, who have been incredibly vocal and incredibly active in terms of developing plans to combat the root causes of gender-based violence. So I think they've done more, actually, than, than the old problem. Um, it's, it's definitely government that's been messing around, if I can say, more than anyone else, because... Um, If you look at government sort of mass approach to the whole gender-based violence concept, we have the president who is constantly surprised about everything, specifically about gender-based violence, um, where it's been a problem forever. So if you think about it, the 16th year of activism, that was a prospect in 1998. That was the year I was born. Nothing has changed since then. If anything, the numbers are getting worse. So, I think government needs to stop having this sort of tick boxes approach where they implement things, they put them in place, and then that's all that happens. There's no sort of follow-up on them. There's no actual change because this problem is, is very much a mindset problem. And government has sort of let it just sit and chill in. It's, it's sad because they actually have so much power that they could use to be changing the narrative. So police reform is one thing, I think, that they, again, have not done adequately. It's, it's a very good way, as I was talking earlier, about low-risk, high-reward. Police reform would be a really good way to change that into high-risk and to actually deter people from committing gender-based violence. So I think organizations have done quite a lot in terms of helping survivors, and governments have definitely not been so active enough. So what we, we don't want more shelters for women, we want gender-based violence to stop. Um, so yeah, government, government has also engaged in victim blaming narrative. So a lot of the uh, press releases like women don't let themselves become victims, that don't become um, like dependent and then and silly things like that, which do not actually help the root cause of gender-based violence and actually reinforce 
the fact, well, not the fact, the opinion that women are responsible for violence perpetrated against them. So government has the most to do, I think. So in your opinion, government has fallen short, and uh, I'm glad we have NGOs who are uh, actively combating this. So, however, earlier on in September this year, President Cyril Ramaphosa pledged 1 billion rand in an action plan to fight the scourge of GBV. So, for you, is throwing money at the situation helpful? What would you like to see government doing in uh, to play their role against this? So yeah, so I think I think the money is necessary because um, a lot of the organisations that I mentioned have been calling for that sort of funding a while ago. But I think even those who have, have said that you know this money has to go to preventing gender-based violence and addressing again the root cause. But again, I, I I'm I'm worried that you know giving that amount of money to gender-based violence might make governments think okay, we've done enough, our job ends here. Whereas it, it, it should be a combination of funding and a combination of changing the actual narrative on gender-based violence. So the second aspect, I think government has failed horribly on that part. The first, the funding, of course, I mean, even the fact that the funding was released after so much protest and so much, you know, su- such a, a big voice and so many demands, it's also discouraging because again government's not being proactive so it's it's a difficult concept to 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 think about you know should we continue funding it the problem is that we've had underfunding in these sectors for so long so i do think the funding is a good a good thing but it has to be incorporated with other reforms from government which i haven't seen yet so i am quite sad about that i'm glad the funding is there but again, actually, the funding, most of the funding is going to um, organizations which have said are already doing so much. So it's again government saying, you know, here's the money, fix the problem, as opposed to saying, how can we actually be active in this process? Minister for Women, women in the Presidency, Minister Maitin Kwana Mashabani, she actually launched a wide-spanning campaign against gender-based violence a few days ago. And I say wide-spanning because it is a 365-day-long campaign, which effectively makes it a continuous campaign year after year, rather than the standard global 16 days for activism against um, abuse against, uh, of women and children. So what's your take on this? Is it a positive step? Again, I, I feel like this is kickboxing. And I mean, I can't really judge the minister that much because obviously she hasn't been in this role for too long. But it, it doesn't feel like it's a change. It doesn't feel like it's a mindset change because, to be honest, for women that, that are activists, it has been 365 days forever since the beginning of time. So some people could probably be hearing it 365 days Um, so recently I went to the 
it was an exhibition by power, people who were doing the In those banks, they had an entire exhibition where they called South Africa the Republic of Sexual Abuse. It was an incredible exhibition, and it lasted for the 15 days of activism. But again, that was a, a social organization and not government. So I'm glad that, you know, 365 days means we, we are stepping up sort of the, the attitude towards gender-based violence. But I think what women need more is actual substantial change, a mindset shift, and actually being able to feel safe in, in our country because if, if somebody wants to take violence against me, if I tell them, do you know today is part of five days of activism, that's not going to stop them perpetrating violence against me. So, also, I think government is again guilty of this thing of creating awareness about gender-based violence. And I think we are all aware of gender-based violence. The problem is how people understand gender-based violence and what people think their role can be in ending it. So, we're in 65 days. I'm happy to hear it, but I just hope that it becomes a strong commitment and not just a name that we just call a year because of social pressure. Now, just looking at the solutions to this problem, um, as a suggestion a few months ago, what came up was the death penalty, and it actually raised quite a lot of interest nationwide. So what's your take on this? Wait, Bath, I, I didn't hear the question. Um, I say, looking at the solutions now to the problem, um, a few months ago, what actually came up as a suggestion was the death penalty, and it actually... Uh, gained a lot of interest nationwide. So, what do you think about the death penalty? Could it be the solution to this problem? So, I think the death penalty is something we need to steer very clear away from. Because um, if you look at the legal system, so again, the constitution and absolute law is amazing in terms of the but the problem with something like death penalty is the justice system is incredibly poor at implementing policy. So we can't trust them to correctly implement something as severe as the death policy, as the death penalty, because already our conviction rates are so low. We know the corruption in the police itself. Something in the legal system is fair. So to actually give the justice system the ability to to hold people's hands in their lives, I think is incredibly dangerous. And I understand we have such them. I understand it. It's, you know, this concept of um, we want a no-tolerance approach to gender-based violence. But the problem with gender-based violence is that so few of the cases actually end up in conviction. So the death penalty is not actually, I don't think, going to deter people from committing gender-based violence. What will actually deter people, active policing, so commit this, I will be arrested, I will be convicted. At the moment, it's not likely that you will be convicted. So, imposing the death penalty on the few, and obviously risking problematic cases where the death penalty is unjustly imposed on people, I'm not, I'm not so comfortable with that. And obviously, gives everyone the right to life. Amending the Constitution for this purpose I think would be very dangerous and it, it, of course it would be it would be publicly accepted people will be very happy but if we critically analyze the death penalty 
I'm definitely not a fan. And if you look at what's happening with the death penalty in America, where they have death row and it's used politically, I, I think South Africa would be susceptible to a similar a similar failure of the death penalty. Now, just quickly to wrap up, Amara, um, are you optimistic that we can achieve a violence-free society in South Africa? I, I am because I have to be. So I, I am the type of person that finds problems, and of course we have many in South Africa, um, but I find them and, and I, I want to fix them always. And if I design myself to the person who will never have a violent, violent society, then I might as well give up now and there's no point in having this discussion. So I, I have to be positive and I have to be looking forward to that goal. And I, I do believe it's possible. A lot of what happen for it to become, to become reality. But um, I, I do think that there are ways to can mobilize enough people but it, it does change. I mean, a lot of countries have managed to overcome not not the same problems, but other problems that were holding the country back. And they, they put in the measures that are necessary and they true. So I do think we can do it. We just need buy-in from pretty much everyone because it's such a national problem. So I, it is my hope that is the society that we get because that's 100% the society that women deserve. Amara, I can say society has a really big problem which we have to deal with speedily. Jazakallah so much for your time and for joining us on Salaam Media. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for giving the platform to this discussion. That was Amara Garda, who is an anti-GBV activist, speaking to us about gender-based violence in South Africa. So... Let's take a short break and then when we get back, we speak to a victim of gender-based violence, Labiba Latib. Stay tuned.